Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. I've received a lot of emails asking questions about resilience, so I've invited my friend Michelle Woodward, CEO Whisper and Executive Coach, to come back and have this conversation about cultivating resilience so you can bounce back. Here's Michelle and I. Thanks so much for listening and I'll circle back afterwards. Michelle Woodward, hello and welcome back. Hey, it's good to be with you. So today we're going to be talking about cultivating resilience so you can bounce back. And we've had listeners send us emails asking us questions about wanting to, how do they bounce back? And here's some of the specific questions and then I'll let you take it away because I know you have a story to share. But people have been asking about resilience. Why are some people able to recover more gracefully? from life's misgivings than others? Is this something that people are born with or is it something that is learned? Another listener sent an email stating, I'm struggling with bouncing back from a bad decision I made with coping and made in coping with circumstances that are outside of my control. I would love to know more about the secret of resilience. So Michelle, what says you? About three months ago, I was hired by an organization because they had a leader who was not bouncing back In fact, this leader was, oh, calling people names and losing temper and generally no fun to be around. And like people would see this person walking down the hall and sort of duck into offices. So not good, right? It's all not good. So they hired me to say, we love this person. This person has been here for 15 years high performer, really appreciate this person's um, contribution and everything that they bring to the table. But this, this thing, this has got to stop. And so I said, uh, roll up my sleeves and get jump right in. <laughs> it will really help. And so it was really interesting. The, um, the conversations and coaching went something like um, – People don't understand how hard I work. People don't understand how many people are pulling on me all day long. You know, people ask me the dumbest questions. This is a person who's two people away from the CEO. So that gives you a sense of where they are in the organization. And generally, my client felt put upon, upset, um, and, and had had a few setbacks, like where somebody had been taken from my client's team and put on another team. Um, This person had had uh, an an HR investigation. So felt just really beleaguered and and embattled. And one of the things that that I brought to the table was Don Miguel Ruiz's The um, Four Agreements. And are you familiar with The Four Agreements? They're right here on my bulletin board. So would you read The Four Agreements to our wonderful writing in listeners. So the four agreements, the first agreement, it, the first agreement is be impeccable with your word. The second agreement, don't take anything personally. 
The third agreement, don't make assumptions. And the fourth agreement, always do your best. So particularly for my client, don't take anything personally was really the key one. And always do your best because my client knew that this explosive, it's not really temper, but this explosiveness was not allowing like high peak work to be done. And so that, that, um, that first part that, you know, it's not about you. So we talked about the concepts around the four agreements. We talked about how they showed up. I saw this little light bulb going off and I said, would you at all be interested in trying something to help you strengthen this muscle? I said, because you've got this muscle. It's just a muscle you haven't had to use. And the client looked at me and said, what do you want me to do? And I said, would you consider taking improv classes? And the reason I recommended improv was because in improv, you have to listen to the people around you. You have to listen to everything they say so that you can build off them. And it was clear to me that this person wasn't listening. And so, I mean, sure, I'll do improv, right? Well, improv turned out to be such a fantastic Saturday activity for my client. What was, you know, going to the introductory free class turned into going to eight weeks of improv, meeting new friends, but getting this sense of um, efficacy, the sense of ability to make things change to the point where my client got an email yesterday from the CEO of the company, who's the one who said, let's get this person a a coach. And the CEO said to my client, and my client read me the text, you are doing so great. I see you really improving. You are a joy to work with. Please keep it up. And so we develop resilience when we can look back and say, wow, look at that tough situation I was in and look how I have gone forward and made something better out of it. Look how I've transformed it. Because the next time I may not be coaching this client. I mean, I'm supposed to only coach for six months. So we're kind of at the midpoint, but I won't be coaching this person in a year. But what I want them to learn is, hey, I navigated this difficult moment. I may have navigated it with some help, but I learned some things. And that's what my client who was, I was just talking to before you and I started talking to my client was saying, I have learned some things. And what I love is when I'm able to do the things I've learned. And to me, that's what resilience is all about is learning from the past and not letting the past dictate a certain future, but let the, the past remind me that I'm strong and I'm capable and I can ask for help and I can get through this. Well, and notice how the story is much different at this point. I'm strong. I'm capable. I can get through this versus people don't understand how hard I worked. Right. The, the story is very, very different on this end of the shame resilience or on, the, on this end of the resilience. Right. And even just dropping that story, mm-hmm. you know, the other thing I did with this client was talk about Myers-Briggs and how in Myers-Briggs speak, um, sometimes people talk to think those are our, our extroverted friends of which I count myself one. And um, I even brought up, I said, I was getting a story about this person who was um, trying to one-up my client and trying to um, express expertise. 
and where in the past that would have set my client off, you know, because my client would have to demonstrate expertise too. Instead, my client said, I just figured he was somebody who had to talk to speak. I mean, talk to think. They have to talk to think. And so I'm just going to let him talk and nod my head and say, yeah, yeah, you're getting it. Mm-hmm. Like, what a transformation. Mm-hmm. So that goes to answer that one listener's questions are of, is this something people are born with or is it something that people learn? Learned. I, I, think Next. I think it's learned and practice. I mean, it goes back yeah. to this idea of, you know, a lot of times the word talent is a trigger for me because people want to say, oh, that athlete's talented or that kid is talented or, or Corinne, right. you're such a talented coach. Right. And what I think that word takes away from is the practice, the learning, the falling down, the getting back up. Because sure, a kid may have really good hand-eye coordination and be able to hit a ball with a baseball bat pretty easily, or a kid may jump into a pool and be able to do the breaststroke kick, which may be challenging for another kid, but it doesn't mean they're more talented. Their body just may have that component. And then it's over time. What do they create with themselves? If they're creating themselves as an athlete, how do you create yourselves as an executive? And, and it goes back to what am I learning? And am I able to execute what I've learned? I mean, and that's the thing is that, um, you know, a lot of times I'll work with coaches, um, for instance, other coaches who've done a lot of book learning and they've done a lot of certification. But when it really comes down to it, they haven't actually worked with any people. Mm-hmm. It's a huge, big step, you know, to work with people. And yet I think it's the only way to go forward is to to not just have the book learning, but have the practice mm-hmm. to really cement know, this way of being. Pra- pra- practice is really important. Dan Coyle, who wrote the book, The Talent Code, and he's been a guest on the show a number of times. One of the things he talks about to have mastery is deliberate practice. So it's not just sloppy practice, but like really deliberate practice. And I think the other component about practicing is this ability to unpack it, to reflect on it, to, to look at what did, what did I do well and what can still have improvement. And what maybe do I need to, it's not effective, do I need to throw out? So having that space, which your clients and my clients do with us, right, when they work with us, but it's something that they can also do in their own lives. And the sort of the finesse play on this, is, and where I see people get hung up, is let's say something is A plus work. Mm-hmm. You know, they know it's A plus work. And they still seek for that one little pocket that could be improved. And to me, you spend a lot of energy making A plus work, A plus plus work. And in fact, your A plus work, my A plus work is a lot of people's A plus 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 work. So at a certain point, too, we need to know ourselves well enough to be able to say, this is good enough. This is good. This is good enough. And and let it go, because I do find people often polish things into a brilliance that's blinding, right? When it's not needed. And again, in the pursuit of deliberate practice, you know, sometimes you can over-perfect things. What do you think of that? Oh, I do, you can totally over-perfect things and spend a lot of the units of energy in that, but not really move forward in that area. That's right. And, and again, I, I think that 
going back to part of resilience is the ability to reflect and to take a look at it more factually instead of indulging in the drama. Cause we can, I'm, as you know, I'm a very good storyteller in the drama of things, but, and again, so whether you do that with a coach or a friend or a colleague, somebody that you can do that if you're, especially if you're a talker, or if you can do that yourself and reflect and pay attention and, and really think about, will this extra effort and perfecting this thing get me the results that I want, get me closer? And what's the cost to the other areas of my life? Have you ever been to a rodeo? No. You've never, gosh, you need to get yourself to a rodeo. Okay. So there's, you know, where they do um, bronc riding, right? Where so the, the cowboy sits on the back of the horse in the chute. And if you've ever even seen it on TV, you'll see the guy, the cowboy will, ha- you know, poke his hat, hat on his head a little bit harder. Those hats are actually now steel lined to protect their brain. But they put those hats down. They, they tie the rope around their hand, you know, a hundred times, they'll check it, they'll check their glove, they'll, they'll dig in their spurs, they'll get ready, right? But at some point, they have to signal to open the chute, or they never ride. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you sat in there for an hour, um, getting prepared, they would not allow you an hour. Mm-hmm. They'd say, you've had enough time, buddy, go. And I think sometimes it's like, you just got to open the chute, mm-hmm. you know, you just have to open the chute. And I see a lot of people who are terrified about what's on the other side. But, you know, if you rode for 30 seconds, you're doing good mm-hmm. in that, that event. Mm-hmm. So my point is, is that, you know, a lot of us over prepare, over perfect, because what we're really concerned about is what happens when we release it or when we let it go or when we actually do it. And I think it's the second part on resilience is to ask yourself, what am I going to learn from this? You know, in back to the rodeo, I might learn that tying the rope around my left hand is a bad idea. Mm-hmm. You know, I might, I might learn something about that particular horse. I might learn something about my, I have the wrong hat on. And that's great learning for that, that experience that you have. You know, I, I just, I go back to coaches who are like, well, but you know, what if a client says something in a coaching session and I don't know what to do? And I say, congratulations, it happens to everybody. <laughs> you know, congratulations, it's good. It's a good sign. You don't know what you're going to do. That's good. Mm-hmm. But the the fear of not being enough is what holds them back in the chute. Does that resonate at all with you? Does that make sense to you? Well, so, I mean, my work is with clients is in shame resilience, right? So that in shame is the voice of I'm not enough. So this all resonates, right? So there's that fear of like, I'm not enough, or people are going to find out I'm a fraud, or, you know, uh, how did I get this, this job title or this position, or I'm not disciplined. I mean, these are the stories that come to me when clients first come to me. And, um, and first it's, it's just looking at that story. I mean, even is that even true? And then it's about understanding. I think one of the important things to resilient to being resilient is the common humanity piece. Like you're not the only person that may be having these voices in your head. You may not be the only person in your company, in your organization that may be having doubt. Now, are you indulging in it or 
is there some truth to it? And where would the truth be? But it's because it's probably not as broad as we sometimes think. And, and probably because, I mean, I deal with overachievers and I'm assuming, Michelle, you do as well. Mm-hmm. Right. So we, we both have the same type of people who are, who are overachievers and that can be really hard on themselves. And, and that hardness on themselves got them to a certain level. But a lot of times they become exasperated or exhausted. Um, but so that common humanity piece, realizing, okay, I'm not the only person that can have these doubts, but sitting here in the swampland with my doubts isn't actually helping. You know, I'm starting to hide from people. Um, I may blow up at people. That's n- neither is very effective in terms of management. But realizing I'm not alone and then checking in with, okay, these are the stories that I have in my head. What is the truth? And, and really focusing on that and then getting through that hard time. Like I really enjoy, like I always say there's beauty in the mess and I really enjoy people moving through that because I believe that there's so much strength. And then the, the nice thing about that is you can look back at that and go, oh my gosh, I had so much doubt, self-doubt. You know, I was down on the ground, but I was able to get back up. And maybe I was able to get back up because there are people around going through this with me, whatever it may be, but I was able to do it. That creates more confidence for the next time. And believe and, and believe me, there will be a next time that you're going to have to get yourself back up. Isn't that true? Uh, absolutely. And you, you used a phrase bearing down and it, you know, it just flashed in my mind that I, I have clients or people who come to me who become clients who feel like they have to bear down 24 mm-hmm. seven, you know, they have to do this Herculean lifting from, you know, every minute of every single day. And it reminded me of, In Washington, D.C., where I live, on the Virginia side of the Potomac River, there's the George Washington Memorial Parkway. And it starts at Mount Vernon, and it it goes all the way through Old Town Alexandria, and it goes past all the monuments on the Virginia side of the Potomac River. It goes up past my house, and it goes all the way up to the Capitol Beltway, you know, uh, almost in Maryland. So it's this long parkway. And A couple of years ago, there was a a van full of one of those like passenger van, you know, the like small bus kind of thing full of uh, Chinese tourists who'd gone to Mount Vernon. And for whatever reason, the bus driver lost control of the van and the van fell up, tipped over and their people pinned in the truck. And it was horrible. And some um, other commuters on the highway stopped. And these three or four people bared down and lifted that um, big bus up. Like they really bared down, picked it up so other people could slide some of the pinned people out and get the other people out. And and I've always thought about it as like, where did that strength come from? Because like three of them were military, uh, you know, uniform military, a couple of men, a couple of women. They just kind of bared together. They came together and they bared down and they did a, they did an amazing miracle thing. I mean, one woman died and the others were all saved, which was really fantastic. I think the issue that I want to really raise though, is we can't walk around being prepared to lift a bus. But yet a lot of us, that's our stance. We're, we're confused about drive being driven and and being like that eternally vigilant to kind of do something heroic. Mm-hmm. And I think that is so draining of your energy. I don't know what you think of that. 
I, I think that prepared to lift a bus, that adrenaline rush is part of our, our human body system when we need it. And we don't, but we don't need it 24 seven. And it's, it's an emergency system that's built into us for those specific situations. Right. But I think we tap into it all the time, or a lot of people do, because they're like, if I'm just prepared, if I'm always prepared for the worst thing to happen, for the worst thing to happen, the problem is, is that when that bad thing does happen, you're pretty darn exhausted. And sometimes we conjure up that bad thing. Mm-hmm. You okay. know what I mean? If we think, oh my gosh, that bad thing, well, let's not let that bad thing happen. Boy, that bad thing better not happen. Guess what? Mm-hmm. All our focus is on that bad thing. And sometimes it, it shows its ugly little head. So how much better, I think, to go through life saying, hey, I've, I have been through bad things before. I've been through difficult things before. I've had my heart broken. I've been in grief. And this is another circumstance. And what did I learn from that first circumstance? And what did I learn? You know, what can I apply from that to this to help me get through? Mm-hmm. This week, I had actually had a client who has really been good about preparing for the bad in every scenario, which then is very draining and hard. And it also takes a lot of time. And we've been working on her letting go of that. And uh, a health scare came up uh, earlier in the week and she had to go to the emergency room and she's actually okay. But one of the things that she wrote to me in a reflection about was the idea that, Oh, I wasn't, I never thought that this was going to happen. And it did. And she was able to stay in her compassionate observer mind and be really resourceful as she went through the process. And she said, that was really interesting. And she goes, I was prepared. I could take care of it. And and I think that's the other side of us is that being able to have trust in ourselves that when those bad things happen, that we can trust our resourcefulness within us and our own intelligence within us to figure out, okay, how do I move through this? But when we're in this fearful place, always preparing, we may not be able to tap into that. That's right. And when we think we're in it all by ourselves, you know, I mean, and, and I think about um, learning from past, you know, issues and, and being able to ask for help. On Sunday of this past week, my elderly uncle, who is 87 years old, no, 80, I'm sorry, he is 88 years old. He'll be 89 in this summer. Um, had a stroke, and he is a single man, never married, no children, and um, he was all by himself in San Diego. And you know, I I live across the country, and um, he, the the EMTs called my elderly father, who called my brother, who called me, and said, "What do we do? How do we help him?" Blah 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 blah. And I sat there feeling so alone because I'm on the whole other coast from my uncle who needed help. And then I thought, who can I ask for help? Which is not something that I have to say comes naturally to yours truly, right? (laughs) So I put a thing on Facebook and I said, who are my San Diego people? And I I thought of our mutual friend, Renee, and I did text Renee, but then somebody stepped up. I explained what was going on. And that person's husband, Colonel Seth Folsom, uh, went to the emergency room and sat with my uncle for like three hours, which it's so much easier to be resilient when you can ask for help, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and just the idea that Seth 
was sitting with my uncle, just my whole stress level went down and the whole family's stress level went down until we could like scramble somebody to get there. And so this is the other thing that when you're faced with something that's difficult and it's uncertain, um, you know, the, the thing that I've learned from past situations is that I can ask for help. And the most unexpected people will say yes. Of course, Ashley and Seth Folsom are really unique and wonderful people. Mm-hmm. But how how remarkable that in that moment of, of challenge for my very large extended family, we were able I was able to ask for help and we got it. And 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 I wanna just there's that courage to ask and right before there was the courage to ask, there was fear, right? Like, oh my gosh, I'm alone. And you could have stayed stuck in that. But then you were able to move through that and go, okay, I'm going to be courageous. I'm going to go on Facebook and I'm going to put who are my San Diego people and be and willing to be vulnerable, right? And um, And then look what happens. And so it does take courage to ask for help. And I often see people who struggle with resilience also struggle with this idea that, they must do it themselves. They must go alone. Do you see the same thing? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, I think, like, I don't know, a fair percentage of the work I do with clients is, uh, you know, asking them to figure out who their allies are mm-hmm. in their workplace and outside their workplace. Who are the people who, if the door is closed and my client's not in the room, who are the people who are going to have their um, back? Whoops. That's usually me, right? <laughs> I pause so you can edit. Okay. Shoot. That we're going to get through without an edit. Okay. That was my fault. Okay. But we could leave it in and that would be even more fun. <laughs> then it would be resilient. There we go. <laughs> so, but the point I was trying to make is that, you know, if you know who your allies are, if you say, I am a lone wolf, I have to eat what I kill. You know, I have to be strong and brave and can't rely on any other person. Then then you really miss out of the the real joy and satisfaction and the so- support of being encircled by people who have your back, who who do care about you. And it could be like those people in the bus. You know, for those minutes that they were lifting that bus those people that were in the accident were so profoundly grateful. I don't know if they stay in contact Mm -hmm. and it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. They needed help. Help was given. So I do think human beings and human nature is such that people want to help people. Now, are there some people who don't want to help people? Yes, but we don't talk to them. I'm joking with, you know, we just don't, I mean, those people, once you know who they are, you don't have to worry about them helping you because they've shown you they won't. It's like what Dr. Angelo said, you know, when people show you who they are, believe them the first time. So you can believe them and you don't have to ask them again. And you'd also don't have to spend a minute on, gosh, I can't believe Carol won't help me. What's wrong with Carol? She should really help me. Mm-hmm. Carol's not helping you. It's a fact. Is that too, uh, is that too mean? Is that a mean thing to say? No. I, I, well, the way I look at it, it, you know, with my athletic background, who's on your team? 
And it's okay if they're not on your team. Like not everybody likes, well, you're a big baseball fan, right? But not everybody likes baseball and that's okay. But so you don't want to go to a baseball game with somebody who hates baseball, right? Unless they're buying beer, <laughs> then they, I will happily sit with them. If they hate beer and baseball, they're probably. Oh, then no, no, then we'll do something. I mean, you know, if I really wanted to spend time with that person, we'd do something that they wanted to spend time doing or, you know, whatever, but it, it is who's on my team. And this client that I was mentioning before, um, you know, that the CEO wrote, I've seen how much you've changed. This was something that my client was really unclear about really in, could not, I, I'd say, who are your allies? Oh, not really? I don't think I, Oh no. But the more we drilled down, yeah, there's an ally over here. And there's an ally over there. Oh, and this person I've always had a really great relationship with. And so suddenly the workplace not became not me versus them, mm-hmm. but became me and my team. Mm-hmm. And sure, there are some people that are just not going to um, be on your team. That's normal. But you've got your team. Do you think, I have my own answers to this, but I want to hear what you think. Do you think people, some people have a hard time believing in their own value and worthiness and thinking that people are against them when they really aren't. Oh yes. Oh, absolutely. It's because that's, you know, some sort of learned idea that they've had for a long time. And, you know, they, they go into every interaction with another person expecting to be disrespected expecting to be minimized, expected to be silenced. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, for me, when I've had those clients come into my practice over the last 13 years, it's a really beautiful moment when they realize they can drop that idea mm-hmm. and and they don't have to carry that because that is a big burden. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you think? You said you had ideas also. I'm trying to remember what my question was because um, I'm still on the expecting to be respected, expecting to be minimized. So my question was: uh, Do people go into interactions expecting that they're going to that that, that nobody's going like to like them? Nobody, right? Yeah, they just believe that nobody likes them. They're not valued. Nobody likes. They're not likable in the workplace. They're not lovable. That's mm-hmm. right. Um, yeah, I absolutely believe that, and and that is the armor that gets in the way because then they can then argue, well, this is why I can't do my work or here's what gets in the way. And instead of believing, like Byron Katie says this, and and I really love this. It's when I walk into a room, I believe that everybody loves me. They just don't know it yet. It's and, true. And, and I love that because if you were to walk into the room with that belief, what is the energy you bring into that space? How do you you're, show up? You're a love magnet. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. And, and realizing, like, I mean, I used to think, because I was a shy kid, and I can still be shy, I used to think that, oh, other people aren't shy, or they don't struggle with this. But people do in social situations, and even as adults. It's not that, oh, we outgrow that shyness or that uncomfortableness. People do. So how can I, if we can show up in a loving way to people, and, and when I say loving way, I hope people understand what I mean by that, but in a kind, generous way, in a manner then how do you show up? And, and then what's the energy? And then what does that create for other people to show up? All right. Can I be like really personal and personally disclosing and all that stuff? Sure. 
a big turning point for me. And I can't tell you the exact day, date, and time that this happened, but was just this awareness that I am deeply loved. And you could say by God, by universe, by whatever, Gumby. I have a friend who says by Gumby all the time. But that regardless of what anybody said or what anybody did or anything that happened, I am deeply loved and cared for. And so I can walk into a room, as Byron Katie says, and I know everybody in the room loves me. And even if they don't, it doesn't matter because I'm already loved. And I, I, you know, I can't, can you say why did it happen? I don't know. I just sort of like realized one day that even all the crappy, horrible things that have happened in my life, and I've had a few just like anybody else who's lived a life, you know what? I'm okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm good. And that must mean that I am, I am loved. Mm -hmm. And so just deciding that that was the case has made a humongous difference. And so I do believe that every single human being on the planet is absolutely loved. And so that means everybody who's listening, if you don't feel like you're loved, you are. Because mm-hmm. you're loved by Corinne Motokaitis and Michelle Woodward, if nobody else. There you go. And, there your, you go. and yourself. And, and yourself. You can love your own self. You should love yourself. I don't use should that often, <laughs> but that's a good one. But really, but you know, the thing is like, my favorite definition of love, which I think we've talked about before, comes from the theologian Henry Nouwen. Um, and he said, love is making a safe place for another person to be fully themselves. And I just, I just think there's not a more perfect description of love. And then that means that self-love is making a safe place for me to be fully myself. And then that goes back to you. It's okay if there are people that don't want to be with you, right? Because again, it's like the beer and the baseball. If they don't want to watch a baseball game and don't want to drink beer, those aren't the people you want to go to the baseball game with, right? There's nothing wrong with that. You can find something else to do if there's a common interest, or maybe that's not a friendship or relationship that needs to be cultivated. And it's okay. That's right. And to also be a listener, right? And to listen. And if a person five times says, you know, I'm just really not into baseball, you could stop asking them. (laughs) Right. And then the whole like, oh, are they going to say yes? They're going to say no. I just hate it that she doesn't like baseball. She doesn't like baseball. Accept it and move on and get rid of all that anxiety about like, I wish she would like baseball. It would just make things so much better. She doesn't like baseball. Find somebody who does. Mm-hmm. Go with and, your brother. My you, brother actually hates baseball, so <laughs> I can't go. But I, I've asked my brother, "Will you want to go to a baseball game with me?" He says, "I would rather have my teeth pulled." <laughs> <laughs> but for you to be full of yourselves and allow yourself to love baseball and go to baseball games with people who aren't going to enjoy themselves as well. Instead of making yourself small and either not going to games or diminishing your own love for the game. Child, I have gone to games by myself. That is actually what I do. If nobody wants to go with me, I go by myself Mm -hmm. because I like baseball. Mm -hmm. I got a ticket. I'm going to go. You know what I mean? And so 
I do think that there's this element of of self-acceptance, of dropping that noise that, um, you know, I should be other than I am. It should be perfect. I should be perfect. Um, you know, I'm not enough. I'm not perfect. Just dropping all that. You know, I, I am what I am, Popeye. <laughs> and and so isn't that interesting? Whatever I am is pretty interesting. Well, and that part I think is really important when we talk about this resilience piece, right? To really where you can love yourself and realize that you may, you said something that was really interesting that I, I tuned into and I don't know if the listeners did. You said, I have had difficult things happen in my life. You didn't say that have happened to me, but you said, I've gone through difficult experiences in my life, right? They've happened in my life. And I think that's an important differentiation for people to understand. <laughs> there was a book that you had me read many years ago called When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Yes, from my boyfriend, Rabbi Kushner. <laughs> when I was struggling with my own resilience. And right. Because there is this belief, and I think I used to struggle with it. If you're a good person and you do good things and you're honest and you're a person of integrity, you're going to be safe. Bad things won't happen, which I think is a really painful lie that we listen to. Think bad things happen even when we do so much and so much right in the world in our lives, and so it's about again we're gonna fall down. We want to get back up, and part of getting back up is believing that we are worthy of love, believing that we are good inside. You know, really being able to give ourselves a safe place to be fully ourselves and own whatever it is that is ourselves. So I I had someone uh, tearfully tell me that they had breast cancer, you know, which is a hard, it's hard regardless. But then the next sentence was, you know, and I've eaten so healthy my whole life Mm -hmm. just so this wouldn't happen. And the kind of enlightened thing to do is to say, I'm having this kale and I may or may not get cancer. But if I get cancer, I'll just deal with it then. Right? Because we, you, none of us are safe and we're safe all the time. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's that hard duality to have in mind. You can eat kale every meal for 20 years and you may or may not get cancer. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, it's just that knowing that I have it, I have whatever it takes, that whatever boulder comes in my path, I'll deal with it. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the things that I like to remind myself, because I can have pity parties even still, but one of the things I like to remind myself is I'm resourceful. I can figure this out. And maybe I need a good night's sleep before I can fire up my brain power, because sometimes I just do. But I'm resourceful. I can figure it out. And, and, you sure can. And that's why I call you when I have trouble. <laughs> I call you. And when being resourceful, I can figure it out may mean, ooh, I need to call Michelle to that's help right. me figure that's this right. out. Or, or I will type something into the search box on Google to, to figure it out. So. It doesn't mean I need to figure it all out by myself, right? That's It's just I'm resourceful. And then I start to go, okay, who do I know? Who can help? Yeah, me. right. Exactly. It's funny. I was telling somebody about, I, I can't remember what I was fixing. I was fixing something in my house yesterday and I texted somebody and I said, don't worry, I MacGyvered it. <laughs> and you know, that's it. I said, sometimes we're called upon to MacGyver. Mm-hmm. 
And when we can find a solution to something that seems insurmountable, it adds to our ability to feel resilient. You know, instead of saying, hey, that was not a great solution. Hey, that was a great MacGyvered solution. You know, in a perfect world, would it be the right? I mean, would it be the optimal thing to do to put like duct tape and saran wrap and chewing gum and three Fritos to solve a problem? The Fritos would be for me. Um, it, it, it may not be the most elegant solution, but gosh, don't we get credit for coming up with the solution? And who who is responsible for giving us credit for coming up with the solution? My own self. Exactly. You knew I knew the answer to that question, right? Oh, you knew, knew that. that one. Yes. I was just kind of giving you a little. <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. And that also, really makes Well, I also want the listeners, right, to really hear that. Because sometimes when I ask them, who are the people on your team? Who are the people who've earned the right to hear your story? Who are the people that are going to be there when time is difficult and they'll write a list and it doesn't have to be very big. I mean, if you have one person, you're really lucky and often they forget themselves. And it was so great because yesterday an intensive with a client, uh, she, we've been doing this work for a while and we, she wound up doing it again and, and she had put herself on there, which was awesome. I mean, that was her own growth in the last year and a half, right? Like I'm on my team too, but also remembering that we have people on our team and who are these people? That's right. And I also think here's something else before we, we go on this is that we have different teams of people for different arenas in our life. Yes. Right? So for you, you have people that baseball games in that arena, right? Um, I have people that love to go to coffee with and my husband's not one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> he he thinks the whole pro it's not that he doesn't like to spend time with me he thinks the whole process is a bit ridiculous and expensive he, he's gone a couple times it's not very fun he goes really you stand here and wait how long for your coffee <laughs> he's like my lipton tea bags cost i don't know what two cents a bag he goes and it doesn't take me any extra time this is a lot of energy you know he's just flabbergasted so he's not on my coffee team but that is one of my favorite things to do is to go and have coffee with a friend. I love that. And so having different teams, but he's also having, okay, let me finish one thought. Having different teams of people is really important. And being that, with that being said, he's a person who's on my team, who's, who will be there for me in difficult times. And he'll be there from, you know, throughout different things. But I know he's not on my team for coffee and I'm okay with that. <laughs> it doesn't mean it's a bad relationship. Right. And I do think that sometimes when relationships are just starting, you know, sometimes we want to like crawl in the other person's skin and run around and, you know, have us be clones of one another. You know, like I'm thinking of like teenage crushy kind of stuff going on. But the the really mature and grown up and deep kind of love is where you realize how how much joy you get from having coffee with your friend and how much joy Pete gets from um, going on a run on the track. Going a run. Yeah. Or I was thinking of something like in the yard or, you know what I mean? Yeah. And to say, oh, it's not really float my boat, but I love that that does it for Pete. Yeah. You know, 
I'm totally throwing him under the bus. One of the reasons he doesn't <laughs> listen to my show anymore, but he likes to run on the track with his stopwatch, not like a, a Timex wristwatch, like his stopwatch when he does track workouts. <laughs> I think that's such a dorky thing, but that's what he likes what to do. What a goober. Yeah, what a goob. But he's fully but. himself, right? Like he's like, the, I go, why don't we could just go get you a little Timex watch to put on your wrist? He goes, why? This works really well. I like this. It works for me. Because that's, that's his, one of his, uh, tools right in his trade is using a stopwatch for coaching swimming and he just takes it with him it simplifies his life he's like there's no drama done it's you know there's one other thing that about having you know different circles or different allies different friends with whom you do different things is that it allows you a diversity of perspective Mm. um so that you know what i have i have lots of different friends and when i really have either a huge issue that kind of floors me, I can ask different people in different like circles of my life to give me feedback. And it's not just an echo chamber, you know, and I, I feel like that is also really critical today, especially um, that we have, you know, that you have people who love you enough to give you diverging perspectives so that it helps you clear, helps me at least clarify my thinking and clarify understanding what's going on when things are really tough. And so that's the other thing is to have some people that you go to coffee with and some that you're in a book club with, some that you work with, um, you know, some that you only see at reunions or whatever, some that you're Facebook friends with. All that is actually good because it gives you that diversity perspective, which I think also helps us with our resilience. That's a very, very good point. That's why you keep asking me back to this podcast. That right there. You have amazing points. Well, thank you. Yes. No, I keep asking you back because these are good conversations and the listeners really, really enjoy them and and I really enjoy them. So we're going to keep going. Good. I can't wait. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for being on today and talking about resilience. I think this is a great information for those listeners who sent in those questions. So thank you. My pleasure. Anytime. So I decided to leave the rings in. Let's just be real and authentic. That happens in real life. I'm usually pretty good about shutting everything down. Today I wasn't. We didn't have Michelle's dogs. And I know some of you want pictures of her dogs. I will ask her for that. But we didn't have her dogs. We are getting smarter. But I left the phone on. Anyways, I want to get back to some of the topics we talked about. I want to go back to the Miguel Ruiz, The Four Agreements. Great book. It's short. If you haven't read it, I invite you to. I'm going to reread to you the first, the four agreements. The first one is be impeccable with your word. And that means not gossiping and being on time, having your mind clear. I think about being impeccable with your word is also honoring commitments to yourself. What is the relationship you have with yourself? And here's the thing. Don't beat yourself up. It's not about being perfectly or having gold stars next to each of these. If you find an area where there's a deficit and you want more of that, then work on cultivating that. We are not perfect. We are flawed. All of us, Michelle and myself included. Think about the areas that you want to foster and grow in your life. This is part of the resilience. So if honoring commitments to yourself, if you tend to gossip, notice how you feel. If you, excuse me, if you don't honor commitments to yourself, notice how you feel afterwards. If you gossip, notice how you feel. If those don't feel so great and you feel like you're living in the swampland, you can make a choice and put a constraint around gossiping. Really work on being 
deliberate about the commitments you make to yourself and really honoring that. And that may mean getting off of Facebook or not checking into Facebook the first thing you do in the morning. Those are practices that I've had to work on to honor commitments to myself because I would notice I would get stuck there. But being impeccable with your word, that's what that means. The second one is don't take anything personally. People, and I know this from the work that I do, we don't know what the other person in our life may be experiencing. What are the stories? We may make it mean that there's something wrong with us. And I know a lot of my clients do that. And we take a look at that. We don't know. We assume a lot and we take things personally without really checking in to see if it's true. One of the words that I use with my clients is it's called confabulation and their lies told honestly. We're really good at that. We're really good at lying to ourselves and being really honest with ourselves with these lies. For instance, oh, she didn't talk to me because I'm just not good enough. I don't dress to her standards. That's a lie told honestly. It's a confabulation. Do we even know that that's true? Or is that a story we're making up in our own mind? We can find out if it's true. We can ask. They may or may not tell us. But why choose that story? So I invite you not to take anything personally. The other is don't make assumptions. We have assumptions about what should happen or what people should or could do. That I call as a script, and that usually creates myself and my clients a lot of misery. Let go of that. It can relieve so much anxiety and grief if we just don't make assumptions. Be present. And the fourth agreement is always do your best. Give 100%. And here's something that's really important. I think Michelle and I talked about this in one of the shows that we've done is 100% may look different every day depending on what your capacity is. There are some days my output can be just phenomenal and I want that to be my standard. And there are some days just getting through my day is my 100%. So notice that and give yourself grace about what your 100% is. And if you give 60%, then don't lie to yourself and tell yourself you've given 100. Own your story. I gave 60% today. That's where I am. And really own it and check in. Am I okay with that? Is this in congruence with how I want to live my life without judging, without beating, just asking yourself that. So those are the four agreements that Michelle was talking about and helping her client come to being resilient. And the work that I do is shame resilience. And it's never about not having shame because we all have that voice in some arena. Even Michelle with her uncle, it was, oh, I'm alone, right? We all have that voice and it can be initial and it may not stay very long if we're as we're more shame resilient. But it's that voice of, I'm not enough. Who the hell do I think I am? It can't even be the voice of, I'm too much. And that's shame. It's that shame gremlin in the back of our head. And maybe you feel you believe you're enough in your work, or maybe you believe you're enough as a mother or a daughter or a friend. There's an arena in your life. It could be sexually, it could be with money, it could be professionally, it can be in partnership, it can be friendships, it could be, um, oh, an area that really scares me is if I were to have a dinner party and have to cook for other people, that (laughs) can be a shame trigger for me. I'm willing to cook for my family, but not for really outside of my family quite yet. So understanding that, knowing that those are 
that's that's shame. And we want to be resilient to shame. It's not that we want to, we can't ever get rid of it, but it's about being resilient to it. So how you go about being resilient to shame is with empathy and compassion. Those are the antidotes of shame. And empathy, one of the attributes is perspective taking. And that's what Michelle was talking about when she talked about the client who had the story of people don't understand how hard I work. Or people say, my clients will say, you know, I'm not disciplined or uh, I'm going to get fired or I'm going to get laid off or whatever their stories may be. And is there really facts in that or is this a story? So perspective taking, recognizing the emotion. Most often the emotion is shame. And, and then sharing that emotion. And here's the key with somebody who's earned the right to hear it. And we've talked a lot about that earlier in the show with Michelle, but it has to be somebody who's earned the right to hear it, who's going to give you a safe and loving space. It could be a friend, it can be a partner, it can be a colleague, it can be a coach, but knowing who that person is where you can show up and verbally vomit, essentially, like this is what I'm feeling. It may not be a proud moment. You may be embarrassed by how you're feeling and what you're thinking, but being able to share that. And then the next attribute is mindfulness, the ability to hear your thoughts and your feelings, but not attach to them and move through them. And then compassion, the attributes of compassion. Remember, compassion is a big motivator for change. I was explaining that to my physical therapist this morning as he was talking to us about not being angry that we couldn't do the fun, uh, the exercises in the correct way. And I said, did you know that compassion is the biggest motivator for change? <laughs> he didn't quite understand that one, but we'll work on that. But compassion is self-kindness. And it doesn't mean that you can get away with things. I mean, the thing I appreciate about him is that he is a hard ass and he gets me to work harder to make sure that my body is stronger. And I also know that it's because he cares and he wants to help me get stronger. We both have the same end result in mind. And kindness. So compassionate people have boundaries. Common humanity. You are not alone. You're not the only person going through this. And then again, the mindfulness. So I'm going to repeat this so you don't have to rewind. The attributes of empathy are perspective taking, staying out of judgment, recognizing the emotion and then sharing it with somebody who's earned the right to hear your story and mindfulness and compassion is kindness, common humanity, and mindfulness. So those are the steps. When a listener asked for the secret to resilience, Michelle and I were talking about possible titles for the show. And I just said, oh, I really just can't use that word secret. I just really can't. And it's not that there's a secret. Here are the attributes. And these are the things to practice. And maybe you're really good at being kind, or maybe you think kind is justification for why you don't have to follow through on honoring commitments to yourself. That's not really kindness. That is a justification so that you can later have regret. And there's a difference. And as you become resilient and resilient to shame and you go through this and you're in a better place, then start really choosing what do you decide to believe? What do you want to believe about yourself? And whether it's Byron Katie walking into a room and believing that everybody loves me, they just don't know it yet, or you, like Michelle, believing I am deeply loved, 
whatever it is that you choose to believe, that is going to be important. And there has to be a feeling that matches that belief. So if you believe like I am deeply loved, it's not like another shame trigger where the back of your head saying liar, liar, pants on fire, but that you really believe it and it feels like love or feels confident or empowered. You feel wholehearted. Whatever that feeling is, you want to match. You want that feeling to match the thought. Okay. And what the desired feeling you want from that. Lots to think about resilience. We all fall down and we can get back up. And remember, you don't have to do it alone. There's nothing wrong with you by needing a team. I, I know a lot about the body and movement and uh, exercise. And one of the things that I hate to do is exercise by myself. My husband, on the other hand, loves to exercise by himself. I like to have somebody to design the workouts and also to challenge me. <laughs> it takes a lot less energy than me having to do that myself. I own that. So look at your life. I don't have shame about it. I could beat myself up and say, seriously, Corinne, you know how to design workouts. You should do this yourself. I don't like to. I like to be with people. So figure out where in your life that you want to be with others and where in your life you're okay with going alone and, and really thinking about how you can get back up and who are the people on your team for this particular situation. I want to thank you so much for listening today. And I have a shout out for iTunes reviewers. We're back to the Canadians. I love Canadians. Canada is one of my favorite places in the entire world. A little lake community up in uh, Northern Ontario. It's a place that I personally call home and think very fondly of and have a lifetime of memories. Not Canadian, but I spent a great deal of time up there. So I love Canada. I love Canadians. And thank you guys so much for your iTunes reviews. And the first one I want to do a shout out to is Indestructible Blue. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a while since I've been on the uh, Canadian iTunes site. So I'm just catching up. And the other person I want to thank is CC8MNJKM. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you continue writing those. I love them. Tell me what you love about the show. What's the most useful from the interview. It's a great place to give feedback. And until next time, I'm smiling big for you. On a lake, she is dreaming. She is drifting. Never been so Hello and welcome. This is Karen Modokaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM.